This is the Abuja Literary Society podcast. What you're about to listen to is a panel discussion from the Abuja Literary and Arts Festival 2020. Hello. 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 Yeah, this is Chime. Good afternoon, ZK. Good afternoon, Chime. Yeah, I don't know who, I don't know if all the panelists are here already. I think Dudu is here. Okay, is Billy here? I'm not sure Billy is here yet, but I'm sure he'll join us. So can... Okay. Okay. So do you think we should wait a little bit for Billy? I'm here. Oh, okay. Billy's here. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, for, for some reasons, I'm not going to be putting up my video or because I'm a bit in a, in a crowd where people are passing through and stuff. So I do not want distractions. So hello everyone. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, how's it going? How are you doing? <laughs> Hi. Hi, Billy. Good afternoon. Good to see you here. Hi, Dudu. Can you hear us? Hello, Dudu. Can you hear us? Can you say hello? Oh yeah, I've been unmuted. I can I can hear you. Hi, hello oh, everyone. Hi. Hi. hi, good to hear from you. Good to see you. See you. Okay, okay. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad that everyone is here, and we are almost starting at the right time. We should start at one one forty five, but it's, we are just two minutes late, so um, we can walk around that. So I, I would like to start. With, my name is Chime, and I, 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 I own a blog called Blackboard Review. So at the, during the pandemic, what we were doing was we were trying to start what we call the quarantine book chat. And during that quarantine book chat, what we were doing was we were um, reaching out to writers around the world. We focused on Africa, India, and America. So we wanted to understand the, the, the influence or the effects of the pandemic. Um, to their writing processes, what, what has changed, what is happening, what, how can we gain from the pandemic, and what, what, what are the bad things that the pandemic has been doing to us. And so um, we were able to learn, learn a lot from all these writers across the world uh, regarding how the pandemic affected their creativity. So I'm also so excited to be having a similar conversation here again at the Abuja Literary Festival and I'm very, very, very excited to be having it with the three of you. And so I'll start by, I want to hear from every single, everyone. So maybe I'll start from DK Chukumerije. So, uh, so DK, can you hear me? I can hear you clearly. 
Okay, fine. So I, I want you to tell me, um, tell us where, where you were when the pandemic struck. Um, and <laughs> where, where, what, what, how did you feel? How do you feel about the pandemic? Um, and did you feel what, 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 what actually came to you, to you at the beginning of the pandemic? Um, I was, I was in transit when the sort of the pan pandemic hit. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was traveling back and forth. Uh, mm. between Nigeria and the UK okay. when the pandemic hit. Uh, but because I had been traveling a lot, I had picked it up very early, you know, when it was still raging in China. And uh, so I had been following it because as a frequent uh, traveler, I knew that, uh, you know, I was at risk. So I had been following mm. the pandemic. So it didn't catch yeah. me by surprise, so to speak. And, um, you know, I... I, how did I feel? I felt a bit frustrated because um, <laughs> I have, yeah. with relation to the pandemic, I have a higher risk appetite. I felt, listen, man, we should just take this thing and keep going. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't in favor of the lockdown or hiding away. I just felt, let's bite the bullets and just keep going. So the first thing I felt was a huge amount of frustration. Like, other people were deciding for me, you know, how to, deciding for me what levels of risk were tolerant and telling me I had to sit down in this place. So the first thing I felt was frustration. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear you? Okay, okay. Well, yeah, that's what I felt. Shin, are you still there? Sorry. Forgive the <laughs> back okay. and forth at the back. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I heard you, Dike. So I was asking a question. I was saying, did the did the frustration affect your creativity in any way? It fueled it. It fueled <laughs> it. You know? Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So I wrote lots of things I didn't actually put out there because they just felt too angry. <laughs> <laughs> too angry at the global reality. Okay, okay, that's that's fine. Thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, DK. So I'll I'll be moving over to Dudu. Dudu, can you can you let us know about about the same the, the same question um, DK answered? So I asked DK where he was when the pandemic struck. How did um, the, how did he feel? So how did you feel? Where were you? Were you writing? Were you at a party? Were you on transit? Mm -hmm. what, what? How did you perceive that that strike? Yo, look, I was, I was actually, so I work from home, so I'm always here. I'm always inside the house. Um, yeah. But you know, when it, when it started, it was, there was that feeling that it was, um, by the time it, it got here, by the time it came to Africa, it would be, it would be easier on us. And it, there were people who actually thought that, you know, it wasn't going to be as bad as, uh, as Europe or China, or that there'd be a vaccine by the time it got to us. Um, so it was something that, uh, you know, it was growing, you know, at first I was, I was worried. And then I got to a point where I was scared, really, really scared. And, um, it got to a place where I was, uh, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't function because my anxiety was shooting up, uh, people had started dying. And as you guys know, it's worse here in South Africa. Uh, we are... Mm. You know, we are going through through the most. And um when they announced lockdown, which we all knew was was coming, um, we all of a sudden everybody had time 
we had time, but uh, we were not sure how to use it because we were not okay mentally. And um, everybody was getting the symptoms, even though they didn't have uh, they didn't have uh, the, the coronavirus yet. So it, uh, I mean, I can't I can't even say I can't even talk about where I was when it started because it seems like it's it's I mean it's still going to peak here. So it's the worst is coming. Um, so yeah, we're still just trying to live with it and work around it and 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 try to survive and stay alive. Mm-hmm. Can you guys hear me? Yep, loud and okay. clear. <laughs> okay, okay. So, oh, I, I know you also asked about creativity. Um, during this time, for me, I have days where I can be extremely creative where I function very well and then I have days where um, things are so bad that the only thing that you can think about is is the people that you know that are, 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 have been infected that are currently sick and you are worried about whether they're going to make it or not so it's just it's a roller coaster um, but yeah I've been able to do a lot more than I could do okay. uh, in the months before yeah. the yeah okay thank you so much Dudu, for sharing that experience so l- l- i'm moving over to billy uh, is billy still here billy can you hear me I-, I do not know if billy is still here hello billy oh yes i'm here sorry oh yes, thank here. you yes yeah. billy so I-, I do not know if you've been following so i i've, I've been asking questions to dk and and Dudu and Zuzu. So I asked them about how the how the pandemic struck them. Where were they when the pandemic struck, and how did they feel? How have that? How has the pandemic affected their creativity for, for now? So can yeah. you also answer? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, I was in the UK and I'm still in the UK. So okay. I'm based in Bristol um, for now. Um, okay. And and fascinatingly the kind of my, my life in Bristol has been very individual in, in many ways I've been under my kind of some kind of lockdown even 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 before the lockdown uh, and this is simply because I think my life here I came here to kind of write and teach so I've been I've been I, I spend a lot of time quite alone uh, the only people I really see are my family so, so, so in reality, I don't think like if I were to like really, really peg the hours and think about them, I don't think that that has changed much. Of course, what changes is obviously the reason. I think there's a big, big difference between um, voluntary isolation and, mm. and compulsory isolation. Mm. So, so, and I get this from a lot of writers and a lot of people I speak to, a lot of friends, a lot of anxiety, I think Dudu's just mentioned it, the first three, four weeks uh, before we knew what was really, really happening. It was just really, really hard to get into it. And, and, and it was almost like the process of relearning how to yeah. do the things you've done for so long. Yeah. Um, and, and so there was that, that relearning. Um, and then I think once I got into that, that became easier. More specifically, so I'm, I'm rewriting, I'm rewriting 
the draft of a novel I've been working on for quite a long time. But I think what the lockdown also feels like is one starts to, one starts to find that the, so all writers, I guess, have to learn how to be alone. But in being alone, you have to have some kind of relationship with either your imagination or the external aspects of your imagination. So you always assume there's a kind of basic, I think, standard into which the things you're dealing with in your writing are working. So the question becomes, what happens when you think those things outside of yourself have changed? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it becomes a kind of weird double thing that's kind of going on. So before the pandemic, one feels that one feels that one creates, at least for me, one creates a normalcy against which I write, right? And then yes. once the thing becomes, once that normalcy, normalcy is, refi- is, is removed, something also changes within oneself. And I think that's what happened with me. So I think for the writer, there's something that has kind of shifted in terms of the relationship between one's writing and one's creativity and, 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 and the so-called outside world. The, the other thing I think is also the strangeness of time, right? So the strangest of time means that uh, one is used to writing and using time uh, in particular ways. Uh, so I also teach, so I also do other things. And, and, and what has happened in moving online is that it, what one wouldn't expect is that these things would actually take almost double or triple the time. So time, time seems to have changed and how much time yeah. one has for writing. So it's also kind of a process of kind of trying to calibrate how time works once again. So those are the things. All right. Thank you so much, Billy. Thank you. I think that was such an honest um, experience that you've shared. Thank you so much. So um, I, 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 I think I skipped. I wanted to read through the, introduce the, the, the panelists that we have here for people that are joining us and for people who are interested in knowing. So I will start by um, um, introducing Billy Kahora, which, who just spoke now. And Billy Kahora is a writer, and, and his short fiction and creative nonfiction has appeared in Chimurenga, Max Winnie's, Granta Online, International, and Vanity Fair, and Kwani. He has written a nonfiction novella titled The True Story of David Muyake and a short story collection, The Cape Cod Bicycle War. He was shortlisted for the Kind Prize for Africa, African for his story, Urban Zoning, in 2012 and The Gorilla's Apprentice in 2014. He wrote the screenplay for Soul Boy and co-wrote Nairobi Half-Life, which won the Kalasha Awards. He's working on a novel titled The Applications. He has been awarded Writer's Fellowship in Italy, UK, Germany, Denmark, and South Africa. He's currently a lecturer in creative writing at the University of Bristol. He's a founding partner of Sasseni, a creative writing teaching platform. He has been also managing editor of Kwani Trust, a Nairobi-based literary network, and has edited seven issues of the Kwani Journal and other Kwani publications, including Nairobi 24 and Kenya Burning. He's also a contributing editor with the Chimurenga Chronic, 
and sits on the board of Numbi. Numbi is a London-based network of Somali writers. He was also Kwani Litfest curator since 20, 2008 to in, in 2015. In 2015, he created Kwani Litfest 2015, Writers in Conversation, Beyond the Map of English. So Billy is a past recipient of the Trevening Scholarship and Iowa Writers Fellowship and recently the President's Award at the University of Manchester to study for a PhD in creative writing. Okay, so I'm going to read through um, D.K. Chukumerije's introduction. Uh, so D.K. Chukumerije is the 2011 Abuja Literary Society Poetry Slam Champion. The 2012, the, the, the African Poet Grand Slam Champion and the 2013 Association of Nigerian Authors winner of the prize for prose fiction. In 2013, he created the Night of the Spoken Word platform to, show, to showcase emerging talent in biannual poetry shows. In 2016, building on NSW's success, DK launched Simply Poetry Limited. So Simply Poetry Limited is a production company focused on staging poetry commercially. The company's first production which, was called, which is called Made in Nigeria, premiered in October 2016, and went on to tour the country, staging over 20 times in more than nine cities, including the Muson Center and Terraculture in Lagos, the Oakland Event Center in Enugu, the Transcorp Hilton Congress Hall in Abuja, and the Kanemi Hall, University of Maiduguri. DK is also an accomplished public speaker with celebrated appearances at TEDx Maitama and the Nigerian Economic Summit, NES. On the 1st of May, 2018, Nigeria's Vice President, Yemi Osimbajo, recited the case poem, The Revolution Has No Tribe, on the platform. In 2019, DK participated in the US International Visiting Leaders Program on Art for Social Change. Okay, that's for DK. So let me read through introduction for Dudu Busani Dube. So Dudu Busani Dube is a South African fiction author and a journalist by profession. She made her mark with the three books, Plomo the Wife, Zandil the Resolute, and Naledi His Love, which appeal... I know it's going to have modern the names. <laughs> His Love, which appeal to the average female black reader. She has also written her fourth book, Zulu Wedding, which is a narrative based on a theme. While still working as a journalist and covering a number of high-profile court cases, Dudu went on a journey of self-publishing her series of fiction books, Plomo, the series. She is viewed as a writer for the everyday woman, and her series have gained a huge following. She was also a contributor in two anthologies, Black Tax, Burden or Ubuntu, published Jonathan Ball in 2019, and the Lockdown Collection, published by Melinda Ferguson Books in 2020. Okay, well done, Dudu Busani Dube. <laughs> I'm sorry that I, I kept modeling all the names in that paragraph. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so um, Dudu, sorry, I, I would like to put, put a question here for you as someone who has worked on a collect on a 
on a lockdown collection, which was just published by Melinda Ferguson Books this year. And I know this is as a result of the pandemic mm -hmm. and the lockdown, which we are all talking about. How, how was it for you? Why, how long did you write that? How, what, was the pro, what was the process like? I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, this was happening. You wrote at the same time. It was also published at the same time, at this time of global uncertainty. Yes, uh, we actually did that book over <laughs> 14 days, which oh. was, um, and we started, we started, uh, we were called by, by Melinda towards the end of April, and we'd just been on lockdown for two weeks, I think. So oh. I think it was just an, and an, an, yeah, it was just a spontaneous thing for her as well to just, uh, you know, get, 30 writers together and and have us talk about about what we're experiencing at that moment and at that time we actually believed that lockdown was going to last for 21 days it was supposed to be 21 days <laughs> it's been <laughs> i think it's going to 200 days now <laughs> but um yeah so we i mean the the, the essays were really just about um what we were going through at that time. I mean, they had banned the cigarettes, they had banned alcohol. Uh, we were stuck at home. We couldn't go outside. There were soldiers um, on the streets. I could only go mm. out to buy to buy your food and you needed a permit for a lot of things. So at, at that time, what we were writing, we're getting used to it now, but at that time, because it, it was such a new thing, especially in South Africa where um, we were here not even more than 30 years ago. I mean, that was the situation in South Africa. There were soldiers in the streets. And, uh, but for the younger generation and for us who, uh, who were younger, who were just children during that time, it was, um, it was a new thing and it was a different thing. So the essays, and we were talking about it the other day, and I was saying to her that if we had written um, the lockdown collection now, the essays would, would, would be totally different. You know, it's, they will be more sad, they'll be deeper. You know, there's a lot of things that, that we've gone through. So it was, um, it was fun doing it because it was, um, we decided to do a book in, in a space of 14 days and put it on Amazon. And it was a great book. It was different, different opinions. Um, but I think that uh, for people that, are, that, that are, are reading it now, uh, it will be kind of a reminder of how, how hopeful we were when this whole thing started and that and then it's just gotten worse um but yeah we were once at a, at a place where we thought you know this was just something that was a, a temporary but it doesn't look like it i think we have another two two years to go things are going oh, to be this God. <laughs> it's so bad we really thought it was going to be 21 days we made plans for what we do after 21 days um, yeah, now we, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a new normal. <laughs> and yeah, to be better if people were not dying, but they are. So it's just, it's a dark situation. Uh, are you still here, Tiki? Shimmy. Yeah. Shimmy, are you still here? 
I think I think Jimmy is floating in and out of space. No, 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 no. I'm still I'm still <laughs> here. I, no, no, I'm still here. But something happened. I think the the admin muted. I muted myself, and I couldn't unmute back. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dudu. I heard everything you said. That was from 21 days to now 1 million and something days. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I would like to uh, send send the next question to DK Chukwemeriji. So, DK, I I understand you. You you're someone who likes to promote poetry in terms of in terms of stage poetry and also especially commercial poetry in Nigeria. And then I would like to hear how you think the pandemic has restructured how the pandemic has restructured this, um, this reality and your, your advocacy towards, towards promotion of poetry, stage poetry and commercial poetry in Nigeria. How, what, what, do you, what's the, what do you think, what shape do you think your poetry would take now? Um, are, there, are there other angles that you might like to, you might like to explore regarding this? Um, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in the thick of sort of trying to bring poetry back into mainstream culture. And so we're doing all kinds of things with poetry, putting it on stage, uh, combining with other art forms, music, whatever. Um, and it was a very, it, it's a very physical process. It's a process that requires physical interaction, you know. Uh, so the pandemic hit hit us really badly, you know, because all the spaces shut down, people are afraid to come out, you know, uh, nobody wants to, understandably, nobody wants to fall sick or, or die. So it, it decimated that physical space, it disappeared, you know. So for people in my line of work, uh, the pandemic was like a nuclear bomb, we just everything just went up went up you know disappeared um and then obviously you're forced to do things online virtually um but i find for myself that um, the virtual environment is not not everything translates easily from a live performance to a virtual one uh, it doesn't it's not a one-to-one -one translation you know so it's not just enough to take what you normally do live and just do it virtually and have the same response. Uh, so I'm having to contend with the fact that, first of all, I'm not yet sure, I'm not yet sure that this is the new normal. I'm still in the phase where I'm believing that, I'm hoping that this is just a pause. <laughs> no matter how long I'm going back to the old normal. You know, so I'm not yet, maybe I've not yet accepted reality. I'm still, you know, holding out for uh, things to go back to normal. Uh, because the, the new normal means that people are going to have a lingering and chronic fear of physical contact and contagion and infection and, you know, more and more activities has to move online. And uh, that would really, really require someone, someone like me to rethink how I deliver what I deliver because then one would have to create specifically for the virtual space. Like I said, it, I don't think things translate easily. It's not just enough to say, okay, I do this 
live. Let me do it. Let me put a camera in front of myself, record it and stream it live. It doesn't have the same power. There is, there is, I haven't found a substitute for a live performance when you're in a theater and you're watching someone live and you can, you know, there's something in it that is hard to recreate virtually. But then that's where one's thoughts would have to go into. And that's what we do as creatives. We, we find a way to overcome these challenges. Once upon a time, the challenge was, how do you deliver? How do you, how do you feel, you know? You know, how do you fill a hall with poetry? How do you get people to, to pay and, and sit in a hall and, and listen to poetry? That, that was the challenge seven years ago. And if this is indeed the new normal, then the challenge would now be, you know, how do you translate a live experience to a virtual one? How do you ensure that a virtual performance has the same potency, the same power, the same raw energy as you know, how do you make it as immersive an experience for the audience as if they were in the theater? That would then become the challenge. And I think it will spark very interesting conversations between artists and tech people, because we would also need conversations like this could, I, could, could, could in fact drive innovation in communication technology. You know, if we ask the right questions, if we put the right pressure on tech people, we could have technology that can help to improve the immersive nature of an experience because that's, that's really what a live uh, performance is about, is about immersion. Uh, so, so for me, for now, I'm, I'm taking this as a long sort of uh, break where I'm, I'm just catching my breath and replenishing my spirits and working on new things and following the COVID thing closely. I'm not yet sold that the world is transitioning into a new normal. You know, I think that there's a lot of hope for vaccines and treatments and things like that that would allow us to continue as normal. And so my first strategy is to survive, survive this uh, break, this interval. So that's sort of where I am at the moment. All right, thank you. Thank you so, um, thank you so much, DK, for that. Yeah, so my next question is going to Billy. I, yeah, I hope Billy is still on. Um, okay, so Billy, can you hear me? I want to ask you a particular question about, um, about funding and creativity, especially in the time of the pandemic. Okay. I, we, we do not, I, I do, from, from, from a, a little research I did um, last week, I found, do you think, do you think there should be or there should have been more funding for creativity, for creatives at this time of the pandemic, um, realizing and understanding that um, creativity in, especially in Africa, when I say funding, I mean funding African creatives, considering the fact that in Nigeria or in, sorry, considering the fact that in Africa, the, there is particularly less funding for creativity and for creatives. And then the second, at, at this point in time where there is a global crisis, where there's a, where there's a global uncertainty, do you think or don't you think there should be more funding to support creatives who do not, who do not really depend on commercial writing? Yeah. Or do you, think there are, do you think there are gaps? Do you think there are holes somewhere? Do you think that maybe um, organizations and funding, arts funding bodies are that we're, did not do what they were supposed to do or are not doing what they are supposed to do at this time? 
to support creativity and arts in the, in Africa. Yeah. So, so my own experience of funding comes from uh, back to a, a few years ago when I was still uh, working uh, and and kind of editing editing Kwani and and we had a pretty good. Um, we were pretty lucky to be funded for an extended period of time. So we were funded for at least um, just like more than more than a decade consistently, and. And we were just part of a kind of cycle that was happening, at least in East Africa, where we were just lucky to be there at that time where funding for, for the arts and for culture was, 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 was really growing at the time. I think even before the pandemic, one has to understand that there are all these cycles that are always ongoing, right? And they have so many variables to them. So particularly in Kenya at the time, um, we were just coming off 24 years of, of the rule of Moi. So there was a feeling that um, there was a requirement for revival, firstly, of civil society. And then arts and culture became a significant part of that and, and kind of uh, non-mainstream media. But what was clear after that kind of decade was that just very basic things hadn't changed. So inequality being a catchphrase that's being used a lot, I think, in Kenya, and freedom. So for example, Ford Foundation, which is quite big, and if you go to their website, you'll see, um, the, uh, before the pandemic, the questions that were really being raised were questions around freedom and inequality, right? And this was after a decade of very, very specific funding that had to do with, 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 with arts and culture. So already, arts and cultural spaces, at least in Kenya, um, have been struggling at least for the last five years or so. Now you find that in Uganda, which uh, while spaces like in Kenya, spaces like Kwanu are benefiting, funding was relatively low in Uganda. Now what has happened, funding, it's almost as if funding, as funding went, down in, in Kenya, it started to, it seemed to come up in Uganda, right? So they're also called all these kind of regional things. What it just simply tells us is that there are all these variables that I think arts and cultural players on the continent, and I'll talk about East Africa because that's what I know, do not have any control over these things. So it becomes almost like a lottery. Of course, not as much as a lottery because some hard work has to go into it you've got to you've got to kind of you've got to raise the money you've got to work hard uh this is never ever said but fundraising for example for a content production institution is almost 30 percent to 40 percent of the work just the conceptualization just writing the proposals just doing all these things is a huge part of the work right so with all these variables variables in place and i'll talk about kenya because that's a space i kind of know and have heard how things are going. With a struggling landscape, the pandemic comes into place. Uh, you don't have, obviously we all know that you don't have government support. You, you have um, a funding landscape that's quite problematic already. Um, and then you have the pandemic and it just means people are in trouble. That's just, a, that's, that's just a brutal reality. 
and, and apart from funding, remember that a lot of the monies are coming from the West. They're coming from Europe, they're coming from the UK, and they're coming from the US. Um, a lot of programs have kind of been suspended, right? Um, a lot of, uh, there's a very kind of on the hoof kind of thinking about what to do. So the institutions who already have funding don't have a problem if you fit within the kind of two, three year cycle that goes on, right? But the project funding, the project funding, the kind of three month callouts, the cycles that happen in three months, those are gone, right? A lot of artists, uh, visual artists, a lot of, I think, performers, a lot of film depend a lot on traveling and kind of performing in the West. I had underestimated the numbers, right? But just those small hustles have disappeared, right? And they disappeared to the extent where I think, I think Dickie was saying that at first we thought this was a kind of pause. But this is becoming now, if you especially if you're kind of watching some of the conversations with the Western economies, and you start kind of getting a sense of what is going to kind of happen. These economies have like, we're talking about recessions of like 20% of GDP disappearing, say even in the UK. Already domestically, you can see the universities are suffering. Already there's a lot of domestic cutting. So by the time all these kind of international, international spaces revert back to thinking about who we were kind of funding, remembering also that the embassies that actually do the small funding are closed, right? And they're going to be cutbacks as we go along. Yeah. I hate to sound um, pessimistic, but it's, it's, it's really, really looking, looking tough. That said, there seems to be a lot of kind of funding and opportunities in tech. Uh, and there's a lot of COVID funding that's coming through, right? But the way I would actually see it is, it's almost like a kind of hibernation. I think one has to kind of go into hibernation mode and kind of go into winter mode and just ask yourself, okay, what are my assets and what do I have? And how, just imagine yourself in winter. How do I increase the value of my stocks? How do I put aside things that can no longer be done? But it requires like huge strategic thinking. Yeah. But one should just basically assume it's, it's going to be a long winter. And, and yeah, unfortunately. And this, I think, is not only special to us. I think this is applying to all of us in our personal lives. We almost have to go into a kind of hibernation mode. Okay, thank you so much, Billy. Thank you. Thank you for that detailed, detailed um, analysis of funding and creativity, especially in Africa. Thank you so much. I appreciate. So, um, I'll, I'll the next question I have here is, I'm going to ask every one of you to tell us about, um, do, do you think there will be a new focus in creativity entirely? I understand everyone amongst you, you, you all are writers and you all are creative people. Um, do you think there will be new forms of writing, new forms of creativity, especially 
considering the fact that this pandemic has come and it's now like a, a part of global incident. And so when from now henceforth, we know people are going to be writing. Are people going to be writing with, um, with some pandemic content? Are people going to be writing with some lockdown content? Are people that the, we understand the storytelling will change, the poetry will change. So um, how, how do you think, how, how do you feel this might be welcoming? Do you think is something that, um, how, how do you feel about this being a literary, a literary, a literary, sorry, a literary element that has come to infuse into already existing literature cycles? So maybe DK, you can tell us what that might mean for you in your creativity about infusing everything about, about the pandemic into your work. Do you think that works or do you think it's unnecessary? Do you think it's good content to? I mean, it, it, anything, anything is, whatever the artist makes of it, anything is content for us. And so inevitably, I mean, the pandemic is going to feature, you know, it's, it's going to feature in people's narratives for years and decades and probably centuries to come because it's been such, it's an unprecedented event in human history, to be honest. Uh, there's never been a time when a virus shut the world down. Like, well, so we're living in unprecedented times. And as we put more distance between ourselves and what is happening in terms of time and gain more perspective, more writing would even come out, you know, because everybody's in shock now and you don't, you can't really process and create and get to the essence of the thing you're talking about until you have some perspective on that issue. When you're creating in the moment, it tends, it, you know, it tends to be very in the moment, but as you gain perspective, you're able to even narrow down and really speak about what you want to speak about. So the world is in a state of shock. After that, there'll be post-traumatic shock. I mean, take, who knows, five years, six years, 10 years, and then we're going to be writing to heal ourselves. We're also going to be writing to, to learn from the experience. So it's definitely going to feature in writing. It's going to come up one way or, or the other in writing. Uh, and then per personally for, for me, um, I am somebody who likes to put some distance between me and a topic before I deal with it. So I'm, I may not be in a hurry to start creating anything that is pandemic focused at the moment. I may do this in five years. I may do this in seven years. It's inside me sometimes uh the things that inspire you just like every things take everybody has a different uh sort of time scale for cooking different artists have different time scales for cooking things up within them so for me it takes a while for things to really you know sink deep and then come back up again you know so I'm, i don't think i'm going to be doing something directly on the pandemic uh immediately but the pandemic is forcing me to is forcing me already and instantly to sort of reconfigure and to rethink uh, as an artist. There are habits I had before the pandemic that readied me for a situation like this. And there are also things that are, I was doing that are now a disadvantage, you know? So you're sort of looking at where you're strong. For instance, you know, when Billy was talking and talking about grants and funding, you know, from the get-go, when we're dealing with the issues we're dealing with in Nigeria, we said we're going to do this without funding. 
You know, so we, we develop the capacity to find a way within our sources, you know, to push things out. So the disappearance of funding doesn't affect our operations as much. But on the other side, the disappearance of physical spaces, theater halls, you know, that is devastating for us. You know, so each artist is affected differently by the pandemic. It's not like a, uh, it, it doesn't cut us all in the same way. And each artist would also respond to it in a different way. So even the, the time it will take you to start telling stories about the pandemic will, will differ. The kind of stories you tell about the pandemic will differ. The kind of skills you take out of the pandemic will differ. You know, and that in itself is something I look forward to because the human spirit is irredeemably resilient. We will not be crushed by this pandemic. We're just going to evolve. We're just going to evolve no matter what. We're going to come out of it with a new way of telling stories in spite of it. So that's something that I look forward to, you know. So, uh, that, you know, that's how I, I see it. Okay, thank you, thank you so, thank you so much, DK. I, I don't know, Dudu, can you like tell us something about the same question? Um, how you feel this the time of um, of the pandemic will influence or will help or, or or mess up your writing? Or yes, I understand the fact that you're already working doing stuff with writing and the pandemic. Or do you think is a good is a good start? Is something to for everyone to hop into? I would like to hear from you about that, Juju. Hi, Juju. I don't know if you're still here. Okay, I, I think Juju can't is isn't here no more. Okay. Um, Billy, I, I don't know if you have something to say about that. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. I think I think um, I think for the individual writer, I mean, there are just so many forms, right? So one can immediately see that some so, some forms, say writers who work in the essay form, especially online, uh, who have always had turn, quick turnaround times. Uh, I think those are already thriving. Um, and I think that if you're kind of working online and you're working in the shorter forms and you can do quicker, you can do a quick turnaround, yeah. uh, especially at a period where there's quick velocity, writing that doesn't require like huge kind of overheads, et cetera, et cetera. Though I think those writers, I think will thrive. Um, um, I was talking to an editor here in the UK and they were saying basically, I mean, um, and, and this might not be a reflection on, 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 on the continent, but it gives you a sense of what, what happens with traditional publishers. Uh, first employees just go on follow, right? Or kind of, uh, they just kind of slash jobs. Uh, she was telling me, and this is, this is a literary publisher. She was saying that there's no conversation they're having apart from obvious bestsellers. So for traditional publishing, I think the novel, I think, um, I think the longer forms, the forms that happen in, 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 in longer cycles uh, are going to take a beating. Um, I think that um, in terms of just response to the pandemic, um, for, there's this kind of, I think, kind of, there's this tension where 
I'm sure, uh, and DK here, I wonder what, what you think. I, I found like a change in my reading. Um, I'm kind of now splitting myself to reading things that get back to what I'm interested in writing in. But my reading for pleasure is quite escapist. So there is, there is going to be a need uh, for, for work that removes us from this reality, like there's always been. Uh, so I think you're going to see like attention between that, but also um, a lot of production around the pandemic. So genre writers are already going crazy. Uh, there are lots of contracts being offered if you're going to write anything, especially from a young black perspective. Right now, I think you can get an agent. Right now, you can get a deal. Um, so so there are all these things that are happening. The, the, the last thing is to think about just how fast things are moving, the kind of velocity of change. So I think, I think it was Dudu who talked about, well, in the first 21 days, this looked like a break. Um, um, and then now it's looking like all the, we're all being told this is going to be kind of long term. The way my, my approach is simply that, well, I'm already in the middle of things that I've been working on long term. I don't have any other choice. I have to finish them. Whether I have the same opportunities I had as before is unlikely, but I still have to finish them. Um, I kind of uh, think what Dickie said about, I don't think I'm going to really think about writing about the pandemic anytime soon. Um, but what fascinates me in terms of thinking about fiction is, and this relates to my first answer. What happens when the, the, inter the interior in you and the external in you as a writer changes? So the way we now start thinking of things like settings is going to be different. I think there are very many kind of technical things of the way we think of the world and a kind of shift of the normalcy that's, that's just going to change, uh, I think, fiction in the future. Um, yeah, so that's, those, that's, that's what I think. Uh, Jimmy, yeah. I'm here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. We are running out of time. We are, we have like, yeah, um, yeah but I would like to, I, I don't know if you can say something in, in, in just one minute. I, I wanted to, to agree with DK and, and, and what he was saying that um, okay. it's going to be a lot of, of, of stories that come out of this. I mean, we, ex we live uh, in a time where the whole world is going through the same thing, where the whole world is the same problem at once. So I think 2020 is going to be the chip, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the stories are told from, I mean, obviously they're all going to be subjective. It's going to depend on what, what somebody went through. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, somebody in Africa, um, you know, experienced it and what happened to them, what did they lose and what did they gain? And somebody from India and somebody mm. from uh, maybe South America, um, I think we're going, we are going to, to bring it in, in pretty much um, anything we do. Obviously, we're not going to write novels about, you know, corona and romance during corona. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going, but it's going to be, um, and we do have the responsibility to kind of um, mortalize the time that we live in so that people who are here 50 years from now will know that we, we went through something like this. And, uh, yeah. and how we dealt with it. 
Okay, 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 it's fine. Thank you. So we, we are running out of time. I, I have more questions, but we can't, I, I don't think we can continue. So maybe I would like the admin to help us print out all the comments. So maybe if it's something we can go, go back to later, if it's something we can go um, keep asking um, the panelists to maybe give us, give us answers later on as, so we can let the rest of the programs for the elite first to move on. So thank you so much, everyone. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I've, uh, this is um, an interesting um, conversation that I've always liked to have and trying to connect the pandemic and, uh, and how creative writing and pandemic is the intersection between creative writing and pandemic in this time of, the, of global uncertainty. So um, thank you so much. Thank you, um, DK Chukumerije. Thank you, Billy Kahura. And thank you, Dudu. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, and, and also thank you, thank you and, and um, Abuja Literary Festival for trying to create this panel for all of us to talk about the things that matter, the things that are so important. So I would like to end the conversation here. I, I'm, thank, thank you, Chime, for showing your face. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Chime. Thanks, thanks, Deacon. Yes. Thanks, Dudu. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, thank Dudu. you. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi everyone. So the next panel is going to be the panel with Dr. Umwando, Professor, not Dr. Professor Umwando Achebe and Amina Sulimani on her book. So Dr. Achebe, Professor Achebe's new book, Female Monarchs and Merchants Queens in Africa. So it's going to be by, I mean, a different time zone. So let me just calculate that very quickly, but then it's going to be in the next 20 minutes. So you can hang around here, or you can hang around and hop in, but then just join us when we, when we start the panel. Thank you. <laughs>